Okay, Baruch HaMavam, welcome everyone. We're continuing our series of Shiurim. We want to thank our generous sponsors. This Shiurim on Tevayikra is sponsored by Dr. Zakaim, Umashpachta, Lilay Nishmas, Rav Shalom Eliezer, Ben Harav Yaakov Zakaim, and Lilay Nishmas, Dr. Zakaim's mother, Rivka Bas Tzavi Halevi, Veganeden Tehem and Uchasim. They should be Melitza Yisham for their whole family. Adbiyasko El Tzadak. Tonight's Shiur is dedicated... By Rabbi Yehuda Labavik says as a chus for the family of Yehuda Leib ben Shmuel Chaim. Shem should bless their family with only Besurais Taivais and Bracha Vatslacha. Tonight's year is dedicated anonymously and also by my dear friend Rabbi Gavriel Kusayev in honor of the upcoming yard site of Rameir Balhanes, which is tomorrow night. And that brings us to uh, tonight's topic. But before we do that, we have some very exciting news. So first of all, um, right now, the next Sefer that's on the queue, that's on the conveyor belt, is uh, this Sefer that may, maybe some of you are familiar with. Um, Bezos Hashem will be coming out in English with Art Scroll for the upcoming Hanukkah, Habaleinu Lataiva, which is the other day which is uh, observed as the yard site of Rameir Balhanes. If anybody wants to participate, Tavayalechem uh, Bracha. Okay, so let's talk about Yadalat Iyar. Yadalat Iyar, the 14th day of Iyar, which is also known as Pesach Sheni. We know Pesach Sheni, if somebody was Tameh, or if somebody was in a faraway uh, distance, was outside of Yishalayim for the carbon Pesach Rishayim, then there is a, another opportunity, which is a very unusual option in the Torah. I mean, if somebody doesn't have the opportunity to sit in the sukkah, we don't say that on Tesvav Cheshvan, you know, you, get, you leave your house and you go sit in a booth. Or if somebody didn't take a lul of an esrig, a month later you can't shake the dal and minim, or you can't blow the shoifer or shchaydesh cheshvan. There's actually really no mitzvah in the Torah that if you miss it, we're going to create a new date, make-up date, right? This is not a base, this is not the New York Mets, where if they rain out, you, so you get a double header the next day. A mitzvah is the ito If you if you blow it, then uh, you know, as they say, avar zmanoi bato karbanoi. And yet, there's a concept that Pesach Sheni, you have another opportunity to to be mekayim the mitzvah. Let's try to analyze that. What is the what is this option of Pesach Sheni? Now, there are many calendar dates that we have a tradition that a tzaddik was nifter on that date. Everybody knows if Moshe Feinstein passed away on uh, Tainus Esther. You know, there were a lot of people who were present. Um, many, many tzaddikim, we know exactly what date they passed away. E- even tzaddikim going back to the times of the Chumash. I mean, we know Aaron HaKoyen passed away, Rosh Chodeshav, the Torah says so. We know Moshe Rabbeinu passed away on Zion Adar. But many of the Tanoim were not really familiar with when they passed away. Look, Rabbi Akiva, the Medrash says Rabbi Akiva passed away on Yom Kippurim. And there's a Tana by the name of Rabbi Meir, who's one of the more oft-re-mentioned Tanoim in the Mishnah. Stam Mishnah Rabbi Meir, which requires a lot of analysis, because even though Stam Mishnah Rabbi Meir, but the Gemara Nervin says we never paskin like Rabbi Meir. So how could Stam Mishnah be Rabbi Meir if we don't paskin like him? But in any event, there is a tradition that Rav Meir's yard site is tomorrow night, Yud Dalid Iyar, Pesach Sheni. Now, what is that tradition based on? So actually, there's a sefer called Hilula Ditzadikaya. Hilula Ditzadikaya was written by Rav Ruven Margolius, who was one of the great authors of the 20th century. He was a librarian in, I believe, Rambam uh, Library near Bnei Brak. And he wrote many, many svarim. He has a well-known Haggadah. His most well-known sefer is um, Margolius Hayam, a Masechta Sanhedrin. And many people who don't know Rav Ruh Margolius, they look at Margolius Hayam and they assume, oh, this must have been written by a, tza- a Gadol from 300, 400 years ago. And it was written uh, within the last 100 years. It's an encyclopedic work on Masechta Sanhedrin. Rav Ruh Margolius also had one of the largest collections of Gadolim pictures. There's only one picture he didn't have. He didn't have a picture of himself. Um, it's Most people never have seen a picture of him, actually. Most people have seen his farim, but they don't know what he looks like. It's not it's uh, not common to get a, to see a picture of Reuben Margolius. 
But in any event, he wrote a book called Hilula de Tzadikaya, and he writes that on Yudalit Iyar, in the year 3881, is the yard site of the Tana Rabbi Meir Balhanes. Tomorrow night is the yard site of Rabbi Meir Balhanes. By the way, if anybody wants to join us, tomorrow night we're having a big Yoima uh, de Hilula for a mayor in Congregation Shari Yamuna. A very big uh, event. Everybody's cordially invited. But it's it's interesting that Rav Margolis records the 14th of ER as the yard side of uh, Remer Balhanes because Ruben Margolis himself says it's not even clear that there was such a person, Remer Balhanes, and that it's the same person as the Tana Rabbi Meir. In fact, Rav Margolis says that this whole thing, the tzedakah of Rameir Balhanes, is actually a ta soifer. That I, what happened was they had a tzedakah box that said Kupas Ramban, Reish Mem Beis Nun, and somebody mistook, mistook the streichel and the nun for a hay. So then they read it Reish Mem Beis Hay, and they said, "Who's Reish Mem Beis Hay? Ah, oh, must be Rameir Balhanes. Who's Rameir Balhanes?" He's not mentioned in, the, in Mishnah. He's not mentioned in Shas. So Rav Rumagolis himself says this whole concept of Rameir Balanes sort of developed out of an error. But in any event, he does record tomorrow night, Yadalit Iyar is the yard site of Rameir Balanes. So now we're going to a feature of Maramakim we have never featured before. We're giving out these sheets for uh, more than a decade, uh, maybe 12, 13 years. We have never fe- featured the Sefer Divrei Yitzchak. The Divrei Yitzchak are the chuvas of Rav Yitzchak Kaduri. <laughs> and they asked Rav Yitzchak Kaduri, the great Makubal, he says, is it true, do we know when the art set of Rameer Balhanes is? He says, we have no idea when Rameer Balhanes' yard site is. We have, there's no evidence, there's no record, there's no documentation, there's no early sources, there is no Makar the Chalal, when Rameer Balanes passed away. See? Oh, who's buried there? Oh, it's not even Borer that he's buried there. But now we're talking about when he, when he was buried. Again, it's, it's traditionally that, he, that he's buried. The question is, what day did he pass away? Right? What day did he pass away? So there's a question, because there were, uh, you know, Rameer Balanes, it might be the Rameer who wrote the Akdamas, who is known as the Rameer Shatz. Okay, but they asked Rabbi Yitzchak Kaduri, so he said, I heard from a great Mekubal. His name was Rameer Abi Chatzera. Rameer Abi Chatzera said, we have no evidence at all when the Yartzer Rameer is. But because Klal Yisrael celebrates his Hilula on the 14th of Iyar, and many thousands of Yidin uh, gather there and they pilgrimage there, Therefore, that means the Jewish people paskin down here in this world, the 14th day of Iyar is the Yard Seder Rameer Balanes. Well, if that's how it's paskin down here in this world, then the Shamayim agrees and confirms and authenticates that in fact, Rameer's Yard site is the 14th day of Iyar. And in fact, uh, the Rabbi Kaduri says the truth is if you go to Morocco, there are many, many tzaddikim buried there that we have absolutely no idea when they passed away. And the tradition is they set one day that this is the yard site, and that's the yard site. So if that's how it's paskin down here in this world, that's how they treat it in the Shamayim. But then Rabbi Yitzchak Kaduri said, I found the source. Now we're going to see that this source is somewhat questionable. And the source is a piyot. The piyot was written by Rav Masud Abu Chatzera. Who's Rav Masud? Rav Masud Abu Chatzera is the father of the Baba Sali. He had the zchus to recently be at his kever in... Risani, and Rav Masud wrote uh, a number of piyutim about Rameer Balanes. One of them, we actually, when we get together for Rameer's yard site, the uh, the name of the piyut is Ashir Afa'er, and my friend Rav Moshe Morgenstern even composed a special nigun for Ashir Afa'er. Ashir Afa'er, Lar Hameir, Rabbi Meir Balanes, Balanes, Rabbi Meir. Anyway, that was written by Rav Masud. Rav Masud writes, look at these words in number three. Melech Tomim Hu Hatana, Rabbi Meir Balhanes, Pesach Sheni Boi Niskina Hilula Lemoifes Vones. The 14th day of Iyar, Pesach Sheni, was enacted 
as the yard site of Rameer Banes. So we mean it was enacted. You don't have to enact the yard site. Somebody, they didn't enact Zion Adar as much as the yard site. He died on that day. So, if anything, this Lashon is mashma that Rameer did not pass away on Yadala Iyar. But they established it on that day. Actually, the Stechemet tells us the backstory. Why did they establish it on that day? So he basically says many Jews from all over the world would come to Eretz Yisrael to, to be Oile Regal. Even though there's no Beis HaMikdash, we know Rabbi Yaakov Emden says that there's still a mitzvah to go up to Yisholayim on the three Regalim. Many Jews would come Pesach. Many Jews would come Shavuos. So they're not going to go home between Pesach and Shavuos. Especially Lag Ba'imer is in middle and Lag Ba'imer could go to the Rajbi. So they figured once we're in the vicinity of the Rajbi, we'll go to Rameer Balanes also. And it happens to be that one year on Pesach Sheni, they were Mechanech, a new Beis HaMedrash and Beis HaKnesses by the Kever Rameer Balanes. And they had such a simcha and such a party and such a happiness. They said, hey, Let's do it again next year. And they, and they did it again next year. And actually, in some sarum, it's brought that the Cheshben was that the city of Meiron um, gained tremendously from people coming there. You know, it's like the Olympics, you know, La Havdil. You know, the, the, whatever city has the Olympics, so the economy is boosted up. So you don't think it's good for Meiron that people come pilgrimage for the yard side of Rav Shem Barichai. So... A nearby Tiveria said, we got to make something out of uh, our, our giants, our luminaries. So they said, come on, everybody, come visit Rameir. So they're thinking, you know, when should they come? They said, let's make a, a special Rameir day. So they were worried if they make a Rameir day, people will think it's a yomtif, and they're not going to say Tachnon, and Chas V'Shalom on a day that you're supposed to say Tachnon, not to say Tachnon. So you know what? We'll make it Pesach Sheni because you don't say Tachnon anyway. And that's basically the story of uh, how it seems that Rameir's yard site was um, celebrated. And Niskan, like Rav Masur Abichatzerah says, on Pesach Sheni. But moreover, Aboisai, you know, Dvarim G'doylem Enem B'mikra. Great things are never coincidental. And if the Jewish people commemorate Rameir's yard site on Pesach Sheni, there must be some deep and important connection between the yard site of Rameir and Pesach Sheni. In other words, is it his yard site? No, we don't really have evidence. Do we have a Masoira that it's his yard site? It's hard to say that. By the way, it's interesting. If I could show you. There's actually a Sefer called Sefer Meir Basayin. Sefer Meir Basayin uh, was first printed in 18, 1868. Again, whoever put it together did not write his name on it. So originally... We did not know who the author is. And the Sefer said, the Sefer said, this Sefer was written, it's a collection of all the, I have the Sefer at home, all the teachings of Rameir in Mishnah, in Gemara, so that when you go to his kever, you could say it, you could learn it, and this way the lips of Rameir will move, and you'll, uh, you'll awaken the Tzaddik. In the year Tav Pei Reish Ches, which is 1928, the Sefer was republished. There it says, this Sefer was written, to, it's a collection of all the statements of Rameir and Shas. When you go to his kever on Yoima Dihilula, Pesach Sheni, you could read the book. So obviously, between 1868 and 1928, Pesach Sheni became the art site of Rameir. Okay, so here I have a book written in 1868. It says, say this at his kever. It doesn't say a word about when his art site is. In 1928, when the Sefer was reprinted, it says, say the Sefer on the yard site. Now, who wrote the Sefer? Rav Yaakov Hillel, in his uh, collection on all the works of the Ben Ishchai, proves the Ben Ishchai himself wrote the Sefer, Meir Basayin, and in the original printing, it is not recorded that it's the yard site of Rameir. But again, if we're not prophets, we are the sons of prophets, and if we celebrate the yard site on Yudalit Iyar, there must be some important and deep connection between the Tana Rameir Balanes and Pesach Sheni. That's what we would like to investigate this evening. Now there's another important idea. We know Jewish tradition, going back a very long time, is that we give tzedakah li'iloi nishmas Rameir Balanes. Why do we give tzedakah li'iloi nishmas Rameir Balanes? Especially if somebody has a sick person in the house, 
we give tzedakah li'ilay nishmas Rameir Balanas. Why? So there's an idea of Rabbi Tzvi Hersh of Zidachayv, the Zidachayver, which, by the way, the Munkatsha brings, there's a tradition. If you can't go on Lag Ba'imer, Azriel, are you going on Lag Ba'imer to Meiron? I forgot, you have, you're playing Monday night. Then, I mean, it's 5,000 miles away. But if you would go, there's a certain uh, ruach, there's a certain flavor that you experience in Meiron. If you can't make it, then there's another option. You go to Zidachayv. On the yard side, there's Zidachayver on your Aleph Tammuz. You also get a flavor of uh, like being in Meiron. The Zidda Trevor says like this. Normally we hold, We're not concerned for a minority. The problem is, what's the halacha? If somebody is a goises, someone's a goises, they're deathly ill, the halacha is not allowed to touch them even. Because by touching them, you might, they, the last remaining ounce of life they have may ebb away if you even go into contact with them. Reb Meir holds that we're choyshesh for life. Rav Meir is choyshesh for the miyot. Rav Meir shita is, we're always choyshesh for the miyot. So therefore, if somebody has a sick person, has from the house, you give tzedakah, b'schus Rav Meir, you're saying, Rebbein I know the person is a choyla, and maybe al piroiv the person shouldn't sur- survive. But in the merit of Rav Meir, who's concerned for the miyot, I'm giving tzedakah, and in that merit, the person should have a shalema. But then there's a, and, and moreover, there is a big discussion in the Gemara whether you're even allowed to give tzedakah. Remember the famous conversation between Tornus Rufus and Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi, uh, Tornus Rufus says, hey, Rabbi Akiva, does God love the poor? So Rabbi Akiva says, yeah, he loves them. So Tornus Rufus says, so why doesn't he give them lunch? So Rabbi Akiva says, so we should go to Olam Haba by giving them tzedakah. So Tornus Rufus says, I don't understand. If you give tzedakah, it should be a terrible sin. It's like a king who decree, puts one of his servants in jail and decrees nobody should feed him. If somebody sneaks into the jail and feeds the subject, they're uh, rebelling against the king. So God decreed this person should be poor. How do you have a right to feed the person? So Rabbi Kiva said, bad analogy. What if the king gets angry at his son and he puts his son in jail and someone sneaks into the jail cell and feeds the son? Not only will the king not punish the benefactor, the king will reward the benefactor. Says Rabbi Akiva, we are not servants of Hashem, we are the children of Hashem. Now, which means you can only give tzedakah if we're like the children of Hashem. If we're like God's subjects, then you can't give tzedakah if you're not doing the will of Hashem. We've said over many, many times over the years, and the entire Sefer, um, that... This Sefer, this humble Sefer, and what we're working on in English, is predicated on a simple Gemara Masech, the Kedushin on Daf Lamed Vav. What is our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Are we gods? Are we adopted? Are we slaves? Are we third cousins? Are we like a son-in-law? You know, what's, there's God and there's us. What are we to Him? Is God a boss and we're the work? You know, what is our relationship with God? It's a major machloikis, Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Meir. And I always, I always like to say, I would prefer to utilize Rabbi Yehuda's shita. You know, let's say you're, um, you take your kid shopping and let's say you take them to a clothing store and they act up. I'm saying not my kids, my kids never act up. But let's say your kids. You take your kids to the store and they act up. And somebody says, whose kids are these? So wouldn't it be convenient to say, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm doing their mother a favor. Their mother can't handle them. And I, she asked me to watch them for the day. I, I don't know who they are. I rented them for the day. Not sure. Wouldn't that be convenient? And when they're behaving, and people say, well, you're doing such a good job. Yeah, they're my kids. They're my biological kids. Wouldn't that be a very convenient arrangement? In other words, when the kid behaves, then he's your child. When the kid doesn't behave, you found them somewhere. That is our relationship with God, says Rabbi Huda. Rabbi Huda says, when we don't do the will of God, we're his subjects. When we do the will of God, we're his children. Rameir famously holds, We're always God's children. And the Gemara says, what if, we're sin? what if we sin? We're still his children. What if we don't, have, what if we don't believe in God? We're still his children. What if we serve Avedah Zara? We're still his children. Are we called good children or bad children? We're always good children. That's the Shita Rameh. According to Rabbi Huda, you cannot always give tzedakah. 
You can't give tzedakah to a guy who doesn't fulfill the Torah because he's not God's child. So you're going against Hashem. According to him, you only could give tzedakah to tzaddikim. We give tzedakah le'iloi nishas rameir because only according to rameir are you allowed to give tzedakah. Now, here's an interesting thing that I always wondered about. And tonight we're going to crack the code. Did you ever lose something? Of course, I never lost anything, right? I always know where everything is. But some people spend like a, a good part of their life looking for things. I can't even relate to something. No, I'm joking with you. I'm, I'm always looking for stuff, you know? But their keys, their toothbrush, their... Well, you name it, can't find Their cell phone, right? How come... Here, people are so attached to their cell phone, and yet, they lose it all the time. And the thing makes a racket. You think, just call it. No. When you need it, the ringer is on. Right? People are constantly losing their phone. What are you laughing at, Right? People lose everything. Their car keys. They have 10 sets. They don't know where any of them are. So what do you do? You go to the Pushka Rameer Balanes. You put in a quarter. Of all the Pushkas in my house, the one that has by far the most money, it's not because of any safer, is the Pushka of Rameer Balanes. I mean, the amount of money in there, I mean, it should be like, should make a thing. Every time you put money in there, I put money in the savings account, you know? But... You, you lost your toothbrush, you lost your, uh, a coin. Somebody once gave me, well, you know, a few years ago we were talking about Moses Montefiore. Yeah? You remember we had a system. So somebody from England presented me with an ancient coin with Moses Montefiore. I had it on my desk in a case. I opened it up one day. No, not there. Not there. So, okay, so I, sometimes somebody comes to clean the house. I showed a picture. I had a picture. I showed, no, no, no. The, no, I never saw it. I don't know. Yeah, and then, and then one day it just appeared again, right? So, <laughs> I, anyway. So what do you do? You give money, and you say, I found it, yeah. I found it. It, it works every time. The pushka works every time. If I'm not a Segula guy. I don't believe in Segulas. And I realize... This thing works right very quickly. Anyway, you lose something, you say, Right, and then you say, Okay. I have a question. I mean, do you, it, does, does this not sound absurd to you? The guy lost his toothbrush. What, what's he bothering Reb Mayer for his toothbrush? Imagine a guy lost, I don't know, his glasses. Hey, Rabbi Gamliel! How you want to help Rabbi Gamliel? Elokad Rabbi Gamliel, Aneni, Elokad Rabbi I mean, what's Reb Mayer got to do with my toothbrush? The guy lost a pair of socks. He has his favorite pair of socks that his aunt gave him for Hanukkah when he was seven years old. He doesn't know what happened to it. Right? He doesn't know it got in the in the washing machine there's a special hole. <laughs> that they're just the socks disappear in the hole. And he he couldn't find the opening. So what what's Rem oh you bothering Ramer because he lost your pair of socks? What's Ramer gotta do with a lost object? Why you I understand Ramer was a big tzaddik. Ramer was a great Tana. According to Ramer we're always Hashem's beloved children. But what does your dumb lost object got to do with Reb Meir? Why are we bothering Reb Meir? I mean, we're not davening to him. Well, he's, you're sending him on a wild goose chase to find Reb Meir is going to come. <coughs> Who's there? Reb Meir here. Came to find your toothbrush. You know? <laughs> why, why are we invoking Reb Meir? So perhaps we could suggest the following idea. And this, this actually, I think, uh, hit me many years ago. In the holy city of Tavaria, we were visiting Reb Meir, and uh, I think this is a very beautiful idea. The Zara Kodesh teaches us that the physical world is a reflection of the spiritual world. There's a spiritual world on high, and then it it's a world of ruach of of uh, ruchnius, and then it materializes and concretizes into the into this physical world. Reb Meir holds that in the spiritual world, nothing is lost. Nobody is lost. You can have someone who is not observant. 
He's not keeping mitzvahs. He's not keeping Shabbos. He's an Oyved Avodah Is he lost? Is he cut off from Hashem? Rameir says, no, he's not cut off from Hashem at all. Now he's not cut off from Hashem. He's Hashem's child. He's Hashem's beloved child. He's always connected. He's a good neshama. He's a good child. According to Rameir, nothing is ever lost in the spiritual world. Nobody is ever too far gone that they sever the connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Somebody could be an Oyved Avodah he doesn't believe in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And Rameir says, Hashem says, he's a good child. Doesn't mean he won't be punished. Doesn't mean there won't be repercussions. It doesn't mean there won't be uh, consequences. But in terms of relationship, the relationship is immutable, according to Rameir. Well, if in the world, in the spiritual world, nobody is lost and nothing is hopeless and there's no Yish, then in the physical world, nothing is lost. And your toothbrush, you don't know where it is, but it's not lost. You'll never, it's not, you're not cut off from your toothbrush, and you're not cut off from your pair of socks, and your car keys are somewhere, even though you dropped it on the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean, and your, your glasses fell on the bottom of the Pacific Ocean, and a shark ate it up. Nothing is lost in the world of Ramea. Because the physical world is a reflection of the spiritual world. And in the world of Rameir, there's always another opportunity. There's always a second chance. You could always come back. You're not lost forever. That's the worldview of Rameir. So in whose worldview you have something important to you? You don't know where it is. It's misplaced. How am I ever going to find it? It's gone forever. No, according to Rameir, it's not gone forever. You could still connect with it. You could still trace it. It's still... It's not irreparable. You know, it's very interesting. In a number of places in Chazal, we find that Rameir had a Sefer Torah. And his Sefer Torah, things were spelled differently than in our Sefer Torah. We actually have a share on that subject. One such example was that we know that originally, actually after the sin of Adam HaRishan, God made Adam and Eve clothing. Kosnois are garments of leather. Yeah? What, what, what he was wearing? I don't know. He's wearing a leather jacket. He was wearing garments of leather. Kasnaisar. Originally, what was Adam Arishan wearing? So originally, before the sin, Adam Arishan's soul was so powerful that it exuded light from his skin. So he was wearing garments of light. Kasnaisar with an aleph. Before the sin, he was wearing garments of light. After the sin, he was wearing garments of leather. In the Sefer Torah of Reb Meir, it says that when God made clothing for Adam and his wife, He made, in Reb Meir's Sefer Torah, it said, Kosnois are with an Aleph, even after the sin. Why? How could that be? Because in the world of Reb Meir, that original level of garments of light, He did not lose completely. He was still connected from it. He didn't sever that madrega completely. He's not lost forever. He has not been downgraded permanently. According to Rameir, even after the sin, Adam Arishan retained some connection to that primordial madrega that he achieved originally. That's the worldview of Rameir. Ah, oh, according to Rameir, we could understand now why we commemorate and celebrate the yard site of Rameir on Pesach Sheni. Why do we commemorate Rameir's yard site on Pesach Sheni? Because if there's any day of the year where if somebody blew it the first time, what did the, why did we deserve Pesach Sheni? Because people who were tame by Pesach Rishon, they came to Moshe, they said, Moshe, Lamonigara! Why should we lose out? You're right, we made a mistake or we couldn't do the Pesach Rishon. We don't want to lose out. Can you give us another chance? Can you give us another opportunity? Can we have, is there some way we could rectify the situation? Pesach Sheni represents that even if you violate a big opportunity, you blow a big chance. Pesach Rishon, we know there's a punishment for not bringing the Karim Pesach. The punishment is there's a Chiv Kares. And yet these people came to Moshe and they said, Moshe Rabbeinu, give us another opportunity. And Moshe said, what do you want from my life? I, I, don't, I don't make the rules. You, you're supposed to bring it on Pesach Rishon. What do you want me to do? They said, I don't know. Go to God. Tell Him we want another opportunity. And Moshe went to Hashem and Hashem said, uh, okay, they want another chance. We're going to give them another shot. On the 14th day of, this, of the second month, 
let them bring the current Pesach. Is there any calendar date that reflects the view of Rav Meir? That when a person makes a mistake, and when a person blows it, and when a person severs the connection with Hashem, you can never sever the connection. There's always another time. Is there any calendar date that reflects the world view of Rav Meir more than Pesach Sheini? So it's not a country, it's not a coincidence that we commemorate Rav Meir's Yaratzai and Pesach Sheini. The whole foundational principle of Pesach Sheini is uh, reflective of the worldview of Rameir, that no matter what, one is always the beloved child of Hashem. This is uh, going to bring us to a very sensitive topic. And uh, per- perhaps this is the time of the year which uh, is we're best equipped to uh, speak about and to talk about this topic. We know that in our generation, the phenomenon of Layalenu, children who do not follow the path of their ancestors, it's uh, unfortunately a uh, common phenomenon. And in Rav David Goldberg's Sefer on Chinuch, Chanuch Lenar, he speaks about uh, that the first thing that parents need to know is, you know, somebody told me that uh, Rav Usher Weiss once had a meeting with parents and he started off, he said something that was, uh, in a way, very shocking. And, you know, the last thing the parents want to hear is that it's their fault. You know, they didn't do a good enough job. There's more they could have done. So usually there's, a, there's an expression, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. You know, that's not something that any parent wants to hear when they're going through a predicament like this. But then Rav Ashawai says that's true when when you live in San Diego, when you live in a a 75-degree climate with no wind, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. But when there's a hurricane and there's a tornado, so then the apple sometimes flies very far away from the tree. And uh, that's the climate we live in today. The winds of the world, the ideologies of our society are, are such a hurricane, such a storm. The storm winds today are so powerful that even though the apple developed on the tree and the the branch was holding very tight onto that, that apple, but the winds that are are blowing uh, are are almost impossible to uh, resist. But Rav David Goldberg writes that this is not a new phenomenon. You know, we like to we like to think about, you know, um, for some reason, it makes people feel good to say, you know, for the last uh, 2,000 years of Jewish history, you know, parents raised children, and they always stayed on the straight and narrow. And then in the 21st century, there's a phenomenon, new phenomenon. That's, you know, re- what we call re- revisionist history. This has been a phenomenon throughout Jewish history. If anything, we've had it through, in, in, in the past history. Uh, it was much more acute whether in the times of the Tzadokim, or the times of Baitusim, and even before World War II, you can look in the writings of the Chafetz Chaim, the Chafetz Chaim says that in before the war, Ein bias asher ein sham meis. Chafetz Chaim writes that uh, in his times, there was no family in Russia and Lithuania that was unaffected by the Haskalah. There was not a family. Chafetz Chaim writes about the young generation before the war. He said you go to shuls, there were no young people there. The, the Haskalah and the, the movements of the, uh, the Bund and the Yiddishes were, uh, had the hearts of, of the young. So this is not a new phenomenon. And a, per, a, a parent has to realize that it's not, not a reflection or not necessarily a reflection on their upbringing and their parenting. And... What we're going to learn is that there are cheshboinois from Shamayim, why HaKadosh Baruch Hu sends certain uh, neshamais to certain families, and it's not that the parents were not, did not do an admirable job in bringing up the child, just the opposite. Sometimes, um, Rav David Goldberg quotes really a, a, a remarkable maramakim. The maramakim is called Seder Hayoim. Seder Hayoim 
is uh, the author of Seder Hayam was Rav Moshe ben Macher. Rav Moshe ben Macher, actually I was in the north of Eretz Yisrael. I guess this was um, a year and a half ago. And we're driving and somebody pointed out to me, well, who's Rav Moshe ben Macher? I said, what, Rav Moshe ben Macher? And sure enough, I turned around and said, the cover of Moshe ben Macher. And we were, I said, stop the bus! We got out of the bus. We went down to the Kerem Moshe ben Machir. Rav Moshe ben Machir wrote the following tefillah. Moida ani lefanecha melech chai v'kayam shehechazarta bi nishmasi bechemla rabba emunasecha. And you know, he's, he's uh, the mechaber of Moida ani. And amazingly, out of his kever, there was a be'er mayim chayim spring of water. I guess if you compose Moida ani, you need to have Nagelwasser available at all times. So he has his uh, a, a, a wellspring coming out of his kever. And he writes something uh, pretty remarkable. He talks about how the madrega of a child is, go, is dependent on the kavanois that the parents had at the time of their union, at the time of their relations. So he asks the following question. So then it should come out that tzaddikim and tamil chachamim should always produce tzaddikim. And people who are not as learned and are not as righteous, they should produce children who are not as righteous. And yet we very often find that tzaddikim sometimes will have children or offspring who don't follow in that path. And vice versa, the Gemara tells us, be careful with Ame Ha'aretz, because they have children who are Tamil Chachamim. Why is there such a, uh, why is there such a phenomenon, as to say there I am? Why does Riban Shalom, what is it that Tamil Chachamim can often have children that don't follow in the straight and narrow? I mean, that's a very frightening question. Who could even, who, who even has the guts to raise such a question? Or to even speak about it? But again, this is a student of the Arizal. And he does say that sometimes Tamil Chachamim are held to a higher standard. And even if their Kavanois were somewhat proper, but they're held to a higher standard. But then he says something amazing. He says sometimes they're Neshamais and Shamayim. And those Neshamais need some rectification. So who's Hashem going to send that neshama to? Going to send it to parents who are not so worthy? Then maybe they won't put anything into this child. And this this neshama that needs rectification, whatever that rectification is, maybe that neshama needs just to answer a one amen. Or maybe that neshama needs to do just one mitzvah. Or maybe that neshama needs to do one chesed. But what does Hashem do? He gives it to parents who are righteous and are kind-hearted and the parents who will never give up on the child. And even though it's so difficult and it's painful and it's torment and it's, it's tsar, it's mamish tsar gidobanim, but the parents put in everything into that child and they daven for the child and they never give up and they do whatever they can to retain a relationship and to give over whatever they can. And then the chinuch, the parents give that child, the child will then do one mitzvah and that will be that neshama's tikkun. So Hashem knows exactly who and where to give which neshama. So if you want to know why sometimes you see from Tamidei Chachamim, They'll have certain offspring. Hashem knew that these were the only people who could raise such a neshama. And therefore we can't question the ways of Hashem. And Rav David Goldberg says that parents should be mechazik themselves. It's not that chas Hashem, they were lacking in the chinuch they gave. It's not that they did anything wrong. Adirabah, they were chosen to bring some tikkun, whatever tikkun they can, to this particular neshama. And Rav David Goldberg says, look no further than one of the most well-known episodes in the Gemara. The Gemara tells us about a man by the name of Chizkiah HaMelech. Chizkiah HaMelech, he was a big tzaddik. Under his reign, the Jewish people were more learned than any other time in history. 
he put a sword in the beginning in the front of the shul. He said, anyone who doesn't learn Torah, I'm going to kill you. That's one option. You know, that's one way. Nowadays, just love them. Chizkiah said, just kill them. Right? If you don't learn, I'm just going to kill you. Rabbi, do you want to come to the shir? I'm not really in the mood. No, you are in the mood because you don't. If you don't come to the shir, we're going to kill you. Oh yeah, Chizkiah. Okay, we're in the mood. Right? That was it. That was his. That was his approach. He had one problem. Chizkiah did not want to get married. Why didn't he want to get married? Because he saw Baruch. He's on the Madriga that he could see Baruch Hakodesh that he's going to have children who are not worthy. So Yeshaya Hanavi, the Gemara says that Chizkiah didn't want to go to Yeshaya because Chizkiah said, well. You know, the Navi should come to the king. And the Navi didn't want to come to, Yish- to Chizkiah because the Navi said, the king should come to the Navi. So what happened? God said, we got to get these two people together. So Hashem made Chizkiah become ill. And now Yeshaya went to be in Vakar Choyla. So Yeshaya said, how are you feeling? Chizkiah, I'm not feeling good. Yeshaya said, no kidding. You're going to die. Not only that, you're not going to have Olam Haba. So Chizkiah said, what did I do wrong? I'm the biggest marvelous Torah in history. No, no, you're a great guy. You just didn't want to get married. He said, I have a cheshman. I see that I'm not going to have proper children. Shai said, it's none of your business. It's not your business what kind of children you're going to have. Your business is to keep the Torah. The Torah says, Puravu, you have kids, and what will be, what will be. So Chizki so said, big talker. So I'll marry your daughter. I'll marry your daughter. You're not worried? I'm going to marry your daughter. And... Maybe in this chus of both of us, we'll have good kids. Yeshaya said, it's too late. You already lost it. You, 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 know, you can't rectify it. You didn't get married for so many years. Even if you get married now, it's not going to help. Chizkiah said, get lost. My tradition is, it's never hopeless. Comes the Bach. The Bach says there's more to the story than the Gemara says. The Bach says, Chizkiah had two rotten kids. Rav Shakeh, and Menashe. He was taking them to shore one day on his shoulders. They were making fun of his uh, head. Maybe he was bald. One of them said, yeah, this head, this head is very smooth. It's good for frying eggs. The other one said, eh, forget about the eggs. We could be makriv avoid zara right here on dad's head. Chizke got so angry he threw them both down on the floor. He tried to kill them. Rav Shakeh died. Menashe survived. We know Menashe was such an idolater that he introduced Avodah into every corner of Eretz Yisrael, including the Holy of Holies. Says Rav David Goldberg, do you think Chizkiah and the daughter of Yeshaya were lacking anything in the Chinuch that they gave Menashe? Do you think they didn't teach him enough Torah? They didn't spend enough time with him? They didn't give over the tradition. There was nothing lacking at all. So what happened? It was a gzera. It was a gzera min hashemayim. <laughs> they Chizkiah knew. That's why he didn't want to have them. Yeshaya knew. But what could he do? His mitzvah is to have children, and that was the result. Well, let's think about what happened when he had Menashe. What was the outcome of Menashe? What was you know the final story of Menashe? So we know that Menashe, he was a pretty uh, great idolater. But we do know one story, that at the end of his life, the enemy came, and they captured him, and they put him in a pot. So first he called out to the god of Buddha, and he to, to this god, and to that god, and he called out to every god he knew, and nobody answered. So he said, well, uh, yeah, well, well, we'll try Hashem, maybe, maybe he's there. God, I don't believe in you, but if you're there, answer me, because I remember my father leaning the Pasuk. I remember Dad teaching me this Pasuk. God, I don't believe in you, but if you're there, I do tshuva. So the angels said, the angels were going crazy because they saw God was about to accept the tshuva. So they started closing all the windows of heaven because what kind of re- that's a tshuva? I don't believe in you, but if you're there, that's not a tshuva. It's a, an embarrassment. But God was willing to accept it. So the angels were going around closing all the windows and all the gates, and the tshuva was trying to go in through the peephole. So they were stuffing it up with, with shmatas. 
and the Gemara, the Yushalmi says in Sanhedrin, Paragir Halachabez, that Hashem dug a special tunnel under the Kisei HaKavod to accept the tshuva of Menashe. Friends, why did Menashe do tshuva? Because he had a father named Chizkiah. And Chizkiah taught him that when you're in distress, you cry out to Hashem and Hashem will answer you. And when, probably when Chizkiah told it to him, Menashe mocked it and he said, Dad, what are you telling me? Nonsense. Stop talking about it. Let's agree to disagree. Let's just be friends. Just, you know, we'll hang out together. I don't want to hear about this stuff. But Chizkiah kept on being Mechanechim and being Mechanechim and he did everything he could. And in the end, the last moment of Menashe, Menashe did tshuva. Imagine if God would have sent Menashe to someone else. They would have wrote him off. They wouldn't have kept up the relationship. They wouldn't have taught him anything. And Menashe would never have done Shuvah. But wait a second. Listen to this. But does Menashe have a share in the world to come? You know, in the Gemara and Chelak, it seems like he doesn't have a share. If you, if you remember, the Mishnah in, in Chelak says that there are uh, three kings that don't have a share in the world to come and one of them is Menashe. But actually, if you look at Avais the Rab Nasan, it's a Machloikis, Rabbi Yehuda and the Rabbanan. Rabbi Yehuda says, Menashe did Shuva, he cried out from the pot and God saved him and he has a share in the world to come and the Chachamim say, no, he just returned to his Malchus but he lost his share in Eilam Haba. And there's an amazing tradition that's recorded by the Kalbai it's, a, it's an amazing medrash. It's not found in the Bavli. It's not found in the Yushalmi. It's not found in a medrash. It was preserved by one of the Rishonim that says, Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi. Do you remember in Baba Basra, Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi went upstairs to Shemayim. He like went into Gan Eden alive. So Rabbi Gamliel asked, what did you see behind the second door? So Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi said, behind the second door? It's a door of silver. All people who did Shuva are there in Gan Eden. So Rabbi Gamliel said, okay, who's in charge of all the ballet tshuva in Gan Eden? Says Rabbi Shua ben Levi to Rabbi Gamliel, I'll tell you who's in charge. Menashe is the king of all the ballet tshuva. So ask the Chidah, how could there be a machlekes between Rabbi Huda and the Chachamim if Menashe has a share in the world to come? But we see in the story in the Kalboi that Rabbi Shua ben Levi went upstairs and Menashe is in Gan Eden. Say, so how can you have a machlik is Tanoim? Says the Chida in his commentary to Avos Reb Nasan called Kisei Rachamim, the machlik is Rabbi Huda and the Chachamim was before they heard that Rabbi Shua ben Levi went up to Gan Eden. But once Rabbi Shua ben Levi went up to Gan Eden, he proves that not only is Menashe in Gan Eden, he's the head of the Balei Tshuva in Gan Eden. The Machlokes was before the experiment. After the experiment, we have conclusive evidence, Menashe is in Gan Eden. Not only that, he's behind door two. What's behind door two? Behind door two, Menashe and all the Balei Tshuva. Why was Menashe the king of the Balei Tshuva? Because he remembered a Pasuk his father taught him. His father taught him, even if you're in distress and you cry out to Hashem, Hashem will answer your tefillah. And this is all part of the secrets of heaven, of why God gave this neshama to this family, Chizkiah. Perhaps if He would have given to another family, they would have written Him off, they wouldn't have tried to be mechanichim, they wouldn't have put anything into Him, they would have given up hope, and then Menashe would not have had the ending that he did. But Hashem's secret was that to a great man like Chizkiah, God gave this soul so that this soul could have rectification. This is the Chiddush of the Seder Hayyim. It doesn't make it less painful. It doesn't make it easier. But at least there's some degree of perspective. That HaKadosh Baruch Hu has Cheshbainois. How to give every Neshama its opportunity for rectification. And sometimes that rectification comes from even the smallest observance, something that maybe other people would overlook, 
and on Pesach Sheni, the day of Rabbi Meir, where we have to think about ourselves. What's our relationship to HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Well, we know we're always Hashem's children. Really? Does Hashem always love me? What if I, you know, what if I don't keep the Torah so well? I don't learn enough. I don't daven so well. Okay. If you don't daven, maybe you won't get so much reward. But the relationship is immutable. It's not affected. We are always Hashem's children. We are always Hashem's beloved children. And if that's our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, then all we could do for our children is mirror that relationship. Then all the children HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us, whether Chacham, Rasha, Tam, She'ene Yadei Elishal, like we said, the Baal Haggadah says, Echad Rasha, Echad Chacham. Every child we have to consider like our only child and like a beloved child, even if it's Banim Loi Eimon Bam, Banim Mashchisim, and as a Hashem, if we're able to think of it in this perspective, and then we have to daven and have bitachin and hope and aspire that we're able to bring all of our family and all of our offspring the tikkun they need. Hakadosh Baruch Hu should bless everyone with only zara chaya v'kayama, zara dila yifsoik v'dila yiftomi piskame yiraisa. Only children who meirim es ha'olam. The Torah of Amasim Taivim. But whatever the situation is, sometimes Kavsha Drachmana is that we have to enable as best as we can whatever Tikkun we could bring. And Hashem should bless us all with Nachas de Kedusha Mikol Yoitse Chalatseno. Wish everybody a wonderful evening. Brach Thank you.